All right, if you'll stand and grab your Bible or a pew Bible in front of you and turn to Psalm chapter 13. We'll read this psalm together. Pastor Bruce has a message prepared for us from this psalm. Once again, I'll read Psalm chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your mercy, that we can trust in your mercy, and that we can rejoice in the salvation that you provide. Open our hearts and minds to uh, just hear from your word this morning and for us to be changed uh, from the message. Be with Pastor Bruce as he brings it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin with a, a question here. How many have ever been so embarrassed you wish you could just kind of get away and hide? In fact, maybe you were so embarrassed you wish you could just die. Uh, somehow just escape the situation. I'm sure most of you uh, probably remember the uh, TV ads by Southwest Airlines based on the phrase, Wanna Get Away. The commercials present comical, embarrassing situations in which people find themselves wanting to get away. Uh, in fact, in one ad, a husband is about to throw a brick through a car window while yelling at his wife for locking the keys inside until another man arrives and asks what they're doing to his car. Want to get away. Turns out the couple's car is several spaces away, and now they just want to get away. In a second ad, a museum curator explains the laborious art of sand painting, and then a woman sneezes, destroying the artwork. Everyone turns and looks at her in disgust, and now she just wants to get away. In a third ad, a woman gets something in her eye and stumbles into a restroom only to discover afterwards, after she clears her eye, that she's in the men's room. And as you can imagine, she just now wants to get away. Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes life is like those embarrassing moments when we wish we could just get away and hide instead of facing the humiliation. But have you ever been so discouraged that you felt the same way? That is, you felt so down in despair that you just wanted to stay there and perhaps even die. You know, all of us have a breaking point in our lives, a, a point where you can become very discouraged, very despondent, and such despair can make us feel like all we want to do is just kind of lie down and die. Maybe this is where you are in your life today. Perhaps you're worn down by the trials and troubles in life. Perhaps you're just tired of the constant pressures and struggles of life. Whatever your situation might be today, it seems like no matter how you try, how hard you try, it just doesn't seem to get any better. And you're feeling down, you're feeling discouraged, you're in despair. 
And I think if we're honest, we would all have to raise our hand. We would have to admit we've been there, done that. We have felt these same feelings of discouragement and despair either in the past or perhaps even right now in the present. But that's when our breaking point can become God's turning point in our lives. So how then can we live beyond despair? How can we get up and live when everything within us we just feel like we just want to lie down and die? Well, that's the question we want to answer from this particular psalm here, Psalms chapter 13. In fact, the purpose of Psalm 13, David is the author of this psalm, and notice it coming up on the screen in your notes. The purpose of Psalm 13, David wrote this lament, and we've learned about this, that there are different kinds of psalms. There's praise psalms, there's celebration psalms, there's wisdom psalms, and there are lament psalms. And this is a lament. And David wrote this particular psalm to encourage people in the pit of despair to get up and live when you want to lie down and die. As you read Psalm 13, it doesn't take long to detect despair in David's words, especially in the first two verses. Due to discouraging circumstances that were out of his control, David is ready to throw in the towel. He's ready to call it quits. In fact, life is so bad for David, he simply could not go on. Not for another day, not for another hour, not for another minute. David just wants to lie down and die. He just wants to quit. He wishes it would all go away, but it's not. Now, before we get into this psalm here and, and kind of look at it in detail, I want you to consider the background of this particular psalm, why David wrote this. We don't know for sure, but David probably wrote this psalm when King Saul was pursuing him, seeking to kill him out of jealousy, which caused David to flee for his life, to run for his life, and to, to hide in caves in the hills of Judea. David had just become the most famous hero in all of the land when he killed Goliath. Most of you are familiar with that story. And he defeated the Philistine army. But this aroused King Saul's jealousy within him to the point that he was dead set on killing David. Think of it. David literally ran for his life. He lived as a fugitive in the hills and caves of Judea when he was supposed to be the next king of Israel. But man's trials are God's opportunities. And when we are at our wit's end, when we are perplexed, when we are desperate and depressed, that's usually when we begin to see God at work. Now understand something, though, before we move on here. Before God does anything about our situation, about our circumstances, He first wants to do something about us. That's normally how God works. And that is where we really begin to feel the pressure. When life is going bad and we are feeling down, what do we usually want? Well, we want God to change our adversity. We want God to change our, our circumstances, but God wants to change our attitude. We want God to deal with our circumstances, but God wants to develop our character. And that's what Psalm 13 is really all about. David's kind of exposing himself for us. He's laying his soul bare before us and before God for us to learn from his situation here. 
David's saying, hey, here's, here's my experience. Let me write it out for you and learn from it. And that's what this psalm is about. It's about how to get up and live when all you want to do is lie down and die. It's about living not just in despair, but living beyond despair. So let's get into this morning and look at it. First of all, you know you're living in despair when, number one, you fall flat on your face in the pit. You know you're living in despair when you fall flat on your face in the pit. And this is exactly where David is. He's flat on his face in the pit of despair. David is discouraged and depressed. He's wondering if this nightmare with King Saul is ever going to end. And I imagine it was probably then that David began to cry out to the Lord. And these first two verses give voice to what is kind of rumbling within David's soul here. Notice what he writes in verses 1 and 2. David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And so swamped by the overwhelming trials and troubles of life, David, what he's doing here is he's basically resorting to four common ways that most people handle despair. And like David, when we're living in despair, we often resort to these same four common mental escape routes. Look at what they are. The first escape route is God has forgotten me. God has forgotten me. And he's forgetting me forever. David caves in under the pressure and he cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Remember the last time you felt that abandoned in life? This word forget here, it's an interesting word. It means to leave something behind due to one's forgetfulness. Now, all of us have been there and done that, right? Darla, have you seen my sunglasses? I can't remember where I laid them, where I put them. Or Bruce, do you remember where I left my phone? And perhaps you've asked the same question of a friend or a spouse or even your own kids. You left something behind. You don't remember due to forgetfulness. We lay things down. We forget them in the same way. David now feels like God had laid him down and has forgotten about him. And it's not just forget for a day or for a week or even a month. Oh no, David felt like God has forgotten him forever. And this word forever, it has the idea of, of continually. David is saying basically, Lord, do you, do you intend to forget me forever? Because I don't have forever. I can't survive that long. I can't survive another day, so how long will you forget me? Like David, sometimes it's so easy in our despair to think God has laid me down and he has forgotten me. God doesn't even know I exist anymore. The second escape route we often use is God doesn't care about me. This mentality always rides shotgun with the feelings that we've been forgotten by God. When David says, how long, Lord, will you hide your face from me? Now, in our culture, we don't really understand that terminology a whole lot. It doesn't connect with us. But 
in the culture of David's day, hiding your face was a very big deal. To not look someone in the eyes was to disrespect them. It was to disregard them. In essence, you are communicating, I don't care about you. Now, the opposite of that, the opposite of hiding your face is pictured for us in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Listen to what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In other words, when God shines his face on us, it's the idea that he's blessing us, he's keeping us, he's being gracious to us. But when it feels like God is hiding his face from us, we feel the opposite. We feel abandoned by God. We feel rejected by God. And we feel like God doesn't care about me and my problems. And this is what David is verbalizing to God. God, you've hidden your face from me. You don't care about me. The third mental escape route that usually follows the first two is, well, since God has forgotten me, and since God doesn't care about me, then I will just have to work things out for myself. I will work things out for myself. This is the point where we begin to basically really lose all faith in God. Lose faith in God's promises. Look what David says in verse 2. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? That phrase, take counsel, is the idea to, to plan something out. So what David is doing, he's now planning his own way out of his despair, his own way out of the circumstances. He's adjusting matters himself. Why? Well, one, he doesn't think God was doing anything about his situation in the first place. After all, God has forgotten about him. God doesn't care about him anymore. But what do you think happens when we try to manipulate the circumstances or people, when we try to work things out on our own without God? Well, normally, exactly what happened to David. And what was that? Well, look at the next phrase in verse 2, what David says. Having sorrow in my heart daily. Some of you have been there, done that. Perhaps some of you are right there and still doing that. Sorrow here means emotional grief, emotional affliction, emotional pain. And David's expressing that these were his constant companions all day long. Which shows us that as Christ followers, we are not immune to seasons of emotional sorrow, grief, and affliction. Escape route number four is I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. This is an attitude that begins to lash out in retaliation because of the perceived unfair circumstances in our lives. This is what David is doing when he cries out to God at the end of verse 2, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? It's an attitude that basically says, I resent this situation in my life. I don't deserve this. Life isn't fair. 
Now, most of us never verbalize that. We just think it. We maybe don't admit it, but it creeps up in our minds, in our hearts. I don't deserve this. It usually comes out in the form of a question of why, God? Why is this happening to me? Because I don't deserve this. Why me? Why now? Why this? And this is usually when bitterness begins to take root in our hearts. We start out with a little bit of self-pity, but now that pity begins to turn to bitterness. We become bitter towards God because we think he's forgotten about me and he doesn't care anymore. And then we start to become bitter towards people who we think are causing all of our troubles in the first place. When we fall flat on our face in the pit of despair, it's so easy, is it not, to resort to these four mental escape routes? Sure it is. In fact, when we're in this frame of mind, we tend to focus not only on the depth of our trials and troubles, but notice this coming up in your notes, but also on the length of our troubles and trials. Did you notice how many times David asked the question, how long? It's hard not to miss it. In these first two verses, David asked how long four different times. Don't miss the significance of this. David's despair is real. He wants it to be over. And so four times he cries out to the Lord, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? So David is also wrestling with God's apparent delays concerning his trials and troubles. You know, it's one thing in life to wade through the crud and the mud. But when you never seem to come out on the other end, when you seem to be marooned in the thick of the mess and hanging on by your fingernails, when days and weeks pass and nothing seems to change, and when God doesn't meet your last conceivable deadline before you cave in, what then? How much longer? You see, the danger for David here, and the danger for us, is not that we will blow out, but that we will eventually wear out under the stress of it all. We feel our troubles are lasting far too long, far longer than the mercy of God should ever allow in our lives. And so like David, no wonder we cry out to God, how long, O oh Lord, will this go on? And as you read these first two verses of Psalm 13, does the Bible understand us or what? I mean, that's why I love the Psalms. That's why I love David here. Man, David gets it. He gets me. He gets you. He understands all this. And this is God speaking to us through David. Well, the great news is David doesn't stay flat on his face in despair, and we don't have to either. With God's help, we can get up and live even when we want to lie down and die, the only question is, are you going to get up or give up? Well, you know you're living or beginning to live beyond despair when you get to number two, when you get up on your knees in prayer. And when you get up on your knees in prayer, the pit of despair should always lead to prayer. That's the whole point of these laments that David's writing. 
These laments are prayers of David to God. And so his troubles, his trials, these laments are leading him and focusing him towards God in prayer. You don't wait until you're no longer hurting. You don't wait until you're no longer despairing, no longer struggling to cry out to God in prayer. We learned in Psalm 3 that trouble triggers prayer. So notice David's prayer now in verse 3. Look what he says. He says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. Now, you just got to stop here for a moment. Because I don't know about you, but do you sense a logical disconnect here with David? Follow me with this. Let's, let's trace David's psalm so far, verses 1, 2, and 3, and pretend you're in his shoes. You cry out to God in despair, but it seems God's not paying attention to you. You think he's forgotten you. You think God's hiding his face from you, and yet you continue to cry out, but there's no relief in sight. So what do you do? You go right on praying, of course. But to whom? Well, to the God who has not yet answered you. Now, this is lousy logic, is it not? But it is excellent faith on David's part. Think about it. You're so convinced that God is forgetting you. You're so convinced that he's hiding his face from you in your misery. And the next thing you do is cry, look on me, Lord, and answer. You know, in one way, it seems senseless. It's not logical. You bemoan a God who's not paying attention to you. And then in the next breath, you nevertheless plead for his help. It may not seem logical, but it's certainly faith in action. So what should we pray then? Well, I would suggest praying what David prayed right here in verse 3. Look again what he prays. He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes in the NIV translation. Notice what David prayed. Pray what he prayed. Pray first of all, Lord, see me and speak to me. See me and speak to me. Verse 3 begins with the important word, consider. Now, the NIV translates, translates this word as, look on me. And basically, it's the same idea. The Hebrew word here means a careful, sustained, and favorable contemplation. So, God's looking has everything to do with his care for you, his concern, for example, in Psalm chapter 9, verse 13, it says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. So the idea is for God to see me and to know what is going on in our lives. And for him to come near and act strongly then on our behalf. Why? Because he sees, he knows, and he cares. Is this not what every person in the pit of despair wants from God? It's what we want to know, that God sees me, that God cares about me. He knows what I'm going through. He understands, in fact, so much so that he now acts on my behalf. Yes, David needs God's comfort, 
But David, in this particular prayer, in this segment of the psalm of verse 3, he is also asking or begging for God's active presence when he prays, look on me and answer, Lord my God. David is basically praying, Lord, look on me and do something. What is prayer? Well, one aspect of prayer is asking God to see us. Because when we're in the pit of despair, remember, go back to the mental escape routes, our first thought is, God isn't seeing me. God has forgotten about me. So now we get up on our knees and we pray, God, see me. Know my situation. And don't just see me and know my situation, but do something about the situation. Prayer is asking God to hear our cries of despair and to do something, anything. Move, God. Work. Are you living in the pit of despair? Then ask God to see you. Ask God to act on your behalf. Second, the second thing to pray for is not only, Lord, see me and speak to me, but, Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me. The second thing David prays for is that God would give him strength. This phrase, enlighten my eyes, in verse 3, is a figure of speech to describe one's vitality and one's endurance. You can see David's problem if you read a little further in verses 3 through 4. Look what he writes. He says, he says, God, enlighten my eyes. And now he tells us why. Lest I sleep the sleep of death, Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So here's what's going on in David's life now. David feels so weary, so exhausted, so run down that he feels like he's dying. He needs God to do something for him. He needs God to supply him with fresh strength and fresh energy in the face of the trials and troubles he's enduring. And if this doesn't happen, David sees that his enemy will think that they have won and rejoice over his collapse. And that the enemy will not see God in a proper light, that God is supreme, that God is almighty, that God is in control of this. The enemy will think God doesn't exist. God doesn't care about David. God doesn't rule. He's not in control. And so David's crying out to God, God, Act in this way. Do something on my behalf so my enemy will not only see me, but will see you, more importantly, in a proper light. Give me fresh strength. Lord, see me. Speak to me and strengthen me. You see, without God's care or strength, David is sure that he's not going to be able to make it. He's not going to be able to go on another day. So he cries out to God for help. And I love this about David. I mean, so notice how on the one hand, David is so brutally honest about what he is feeling. And yet on the other hand, he is asking God for specific help in his life. And although David is expressing the depth of his despair, he is still turning to God in faith. And he's waiting on God to act on his behalf. Now, let me just stop here for a moment, and let's kind of step away from Psalm 13 here. 
because it's really amazing to consider how Jesus Christ became the fulfillment of what David longs for here in Psalm 13. Think about this with me for a moment. Jesus, in other words, when you go to the New Testament, he is the greatest source of our hope for those who are in the pit of despair. Let me explain. You go to Hebrews chapter 4, and in particular verses 14 through 15, and those verses tell us that Jesus, by becoming a man, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses with our discouragement even, with our despair, with our adversity, with our emotional grief and pain and turmoil. He understands what it's like to live in a fallen, sinful world. He knows what we feel. And so when we come to Jesus in prayer, folks, let me tell you, He gets it. He understands us. He cares about us. He's been there and lived that. And then you go to the next verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and it tells us the implications of all this. Since Jesus is the Son of God, since he has won the victory over death and sin with his death on the cross and his resurrection, and since he has made reconciliation possible with God Almighty, and since he does understand our feelings, what we experience in life, and since he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing? He's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. And since all that is true, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 16. Then come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Whoa. Blow me away. In other words, Jesus is there to give you strength when you need it most. When you think you can't go on another minute in life, Jesus is everything that we need. He is there. And because of what he's done for us, we now have access to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in our times of need. So get this. Embrace this truth. Your help and your hope in the midst of despair is not just a concept. It's not just an idea. It's not even just a theory. Listen to me. It is a person, a real person who understands what you're feeling, who knows what you're going through, and who is able to give you spiritual strength when you need it most. Whoa! Is that not the coolest in the world? That is awesome. Now that's more than enough to get us up on our knees in prayer, crying out to God the Father and God the Son when we need it most. You know you're living beyond despair, when you get up on your knees in prayer, which then prepares us now for number three, to stand up on your feet in praise. To stand up on your feet in praise. Look what it says in verses five through six. 
What we have here in these verses are the reasons that David is able to stand up on his feet in praise. Look what it says. David writes, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, did you happen to notice the very first word of verse 5? It's a little three-letter word. It's a simple word, a common word, but it's a powerful word. And what is that word? But. And it usually introduces a contrast or a turning point. And in this case, it's the turning point in Psalm 13. It's as if David is saying, in contrast to my earlier frame of mind, when I wanted to just lie down and die, I am now choosing to get up and live. Why the difference in outlook? Why the turning point in David's perspective on life? Listen, there will always be a wide gap between what you know and what you feel. So think of this, look at this. There will always be a gap between what you know and between what you feel, especially in times of trouble, trials, pain, despair, discouragement. And it is an act of faith to not only believe in a truth, but to live on the basis of that truth. In other words, faith is what bridges the gap between what I know to be true and what I feel to be true. Notice how David tilts the direction of his life toward trusting God, even while he's in despair. Because there is a clear sense of intentionality here when he declares, I have trusted, my heart shall rejoice, I will sing. This is a choice, in other words, that David is making. And while there are many things that a person in despair cannot control, folks, listen to me, there is much that we can control. And perhaps you're wondering, well, what is that? Because it seems like when I'm in despair, nothing is in my control. Everything is out of my control. And there's an element of truth to that, but there are some things we can control. And so what can we do? Listen, we can choose to keep trusting, to keep rejoicing, to keep singing. Furthermore, there's no indication in this psalm that anything has changed in David's circumstances. Did you get that? Have you seen that here? In other words, David is doing all this praising while he is still fleeing for his life from King Saul while he's still running and hiding. You say, how is that possible? Well, David gives us three reasons why it's possible to stand up and praise, even when our circumstances around us haven't changed a whole lot. First of all, we can praise God for his steadfast love. Praise God for his steadfast love. God's steadfast love is God's promise that he will always love us. And that he will never leave us nor forsake us. As one writer or commentator puts it, it is not simply love, but love that has stickum on it. Love that refuses to ever let go. And I love that. 
of how he describes that about God's steadfast love. It's love that has stick them on it. It's like duct tape. Put it on your arm. And if your arms are hairy like mine, it's got stick them on it. You don't want to rip it off. That's God's love. God's love has stick them. Never leaves us, never forsakes us. In a world that is filled with trials and troubles, there's no better source of hope than knowing God's steadfast love is always there. As David writes in Psalm 103, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. A second reason we can praise God is we can praise God for his gracious deliverance or his gracious salvation. David says, and get this, it's in the future tense, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation or your deliverance. Now why is David able to say this even though his circumstances haven't changed? Because David knows that God is the one who is ultimately in control of his life. And that God is the one who can deliver him from his despair. And so he writes it in the future tense as if it has already happened. It's as good as done. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. He says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Not always in our time frame, but in God's timing, in God's season. Third, a third reason we can praise God is for his bountiful goodness. For his bountiful goodness. Again, David uses the future tense when he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Think about it. Again, nothing has changed in David's circumstances. And yet David sees right through them all, all the way to God's goodness. That's remarkable. David could only get to this place by focusing on God's amazing grace and goodness in his life. Psalm 92, 1 through 2 tells us, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Reminds me of the little boy who was asked by his father to say the blessing at the table. And while the rest of the family bowed their heads and waited, the little boy just eyed every dish of food his mother had prepared. And after the examination, he finally bowed his head and he genuinely prayed, Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I thank you for it, and I'll eat it anyway. Amen. Now, let's be honest here, because David's honest with us. So let's be honest with God as well. Sometimes it's so easy to look at our life, to look at our situation, and think, I sure don't like the looks of it. God, I can't believe this is what you've dished out for me. This isn't fair. How can you do this? You know I don't like this. Why would you dish this out to me when you know I don't like it? 
It's like when Jack, when Darla makes something with mushrooms in it. He's like, Mom, you know I don't like mushrooms. Why do you put mushrooms in it? But folks, we're no different when it comes to our lives and the things that happen to us with God. We look at our life and we think, I don't like the looks of this. But like David, we can still praise God for his bountiful goodness and grace. And with God's help, we can get up and live even when we want to lie down and die. Like David, why then can we live beyond despair? Because the Lord has dealt bountifully with us. Listen, the last point, the summary of this whole thing, it really comes down to this. It's in your notes. You know you're ready to get up and live when you can honestly say to the Lord, you have dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 here is an honest and helpful psalm of David because it shows us what it looks like to not only live beyond despair, but live in despair. And to live in it and then beyond. It shows us that there is actually a path from the pit of despair to prayer to praise. Yes, life is full of troubles, it's full of trials that make us wish we could just lie down and die and never mess with it, never deal with it, never face it. But we have not learned the most basic lessons God has designed for us in any given trial of life until we can say, until we come to that point in our life, God, you have dealt bountifully with me. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself in despair today, listen to David here in Psalms 13. Be honest about what you're feeling. Tell God about it in prayer. Then cry out to God. Ask God for his help. This is where faith triumphs over those feelings of despair. And then choose to keep trusting God in praising God for his steadfast love, his gracious deliverance, and his bountiful goodness. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for this psalm of David here. We thank you for his honesty. And Lord, how real and raw he is when he writes these words for us. Lord, these are words that many of us here can relate to even now as we think about our own lives the trials and troubles we're dealing with and Lord I know there are some who are living in despair and discouragement even now and Lord I pray that you would give them strength to get up on their knees in prayer before you and Lord, you would give them the grace that they need to even stand up on their feet in praise of you. And so Lord, as we come to this time of response, and as the praise team sings, I ask that you would work. You would speak to us as you already have in your word. And we would respond in prayer to you. We would be real with you and honest. We would confess. And we would approach your throne of grace and ask for your mercy and your help. Lord, help us to know most of all that that help and that hope comes 
in a person of Jesus Christ. And he is so real. And he has done everything for us. So help us to turn to him as he is the fulfillment of everything that David longs for here in Psalm 13. So help us to respond, Lord, as you see fit. As the praise team sings.